Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Life Community Church, Leamington Spa. Recorded at one of our Sunday morning services, we hope this message inspires, equips and encourages you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's great to see you all today and um, my name is Dave, one leaders here and if you're listening on podcast, welcome. Why don't we just welcome everyone that's listening on podcast, come on, show our appreciation. Just really quickly, can you pick up your prayer guide? There's one thing Leanne didn't say, which is really, really important. Pick up your prayer guide. Yes. Give me a wave when you got it. Found the person next to you. Okay. On the back of that, it says, please send, in, send us your prayer requests for you, family, friends, and community. Too. You've got an email address. You've got the phone number. You can even answer phone message on the phone. Um, and there's contact details on the website too. We want to believe that this week, we want to see answers to prayer. Okay. And I'm going to speak, be speaking a little bit about this later on in the message today. But phone in. Phone in. Because we want to believe. To tell, tell people that you're praying for them. And tell us a prayer request. Either it's for you or someone that you know. Someone just needs something. And you say, can you pray for this person? You might want to keep their name confidential. You might say, can you pray for Sally? You know, um, she's got this need or whatever. And just let us pray. We want to be specific. When we gather at lunchtime, we can pray for all these different thoughts and needs. Of course, put your prayer requests through the, um, the, the offering buckets today, this morning as well. But that would be really, really good to do that. Because we want to be intentional about this. We want to create a wave where these prayers are being covered in prayer. Yeah? Amen? Amen. But also we can dis- disseminate the information out as well. So if something's really confidential, let us know that too. And we won't, we'll keep that within a certain realm. But if you're happy for prayers to be prayed, then um, just send them in and we want to really cover things in prayer. So that's phone, answer phone through email or contact forms on the website. Brilliant. Another quick notice then is if you're a partner of um, LCC and you've been through a partnership course, then on Sunday the 13th, say Sunday the 13th, between 1 and 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we've got a, uh, a lunch and a time together for input and vision for all um, church partners. So that's on Friday the thir- sorry, Sunday the 13th of October, 1 till 3. Um, please let us know by, um, as soon as possible about that so we can know about catering and numbers provided for that. We're going to be doing a, providing a finger buffet for us all on that as we unravel some things and look at finances and review of the previous year in the life of the church. So that's Sunday the 13th. That'd be brilliant. Okay, without any further ado, I'm going to crack on with the message today. So Days of Elijah, okay, this is our sermon series, and part three, it's not over yet. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. And here's the uh, verse for us, We, we know this verse very well, it's found in James chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Because we hear some great things about this, 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 this guy called Elijah. This guy's role was a prophet. So as soon as we think of a prophet, we think, wow, so much better than me. Let's put him on a pedestal up here. But actually, this brings it down to earth. This earths the character of Elijah. Because it says in verse 16 of James chapter 5, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The affectant, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. That sounds great, doesn't it? But I love this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What the Bible is saying is Elijah was just like you or me. Just like you and me. One thing he did, though, he prayed earnestly. 
Church, we got an opportunity this week to pray earnestly. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Amazing. So as we're reading the story of Elijah, have in your heart and your mind, do you know what? What God did for Elijah, maybe, just maybe, God could do through my life too. He's no more important than you, even though he did some incredible things. But why couldn't God do some incredible things through your life and my life? The miracle is in the master's plan. Sometimes in life, we pray for things or expecting things or hoping for things to turn out a certain way. And sometimes the things that we're hoping for, expecting or praying for, are there seems to be a delay in coming. Or it can seem like sometimes that life goes into reverse and we think, what's going on here? Life's getting hard. Or the thing we really, really want to happen, it doesn't seem like it's happening. Everyone experienced that sort of situation. In our marriages, I think, God, maybe we get through a difficult time in our marriage. It seems to be it's, it's tough right now. Marriage is tough. But with God at the center of a marriage, all things are possible. Maybe you've got um, children and you've been praying for so long. Maybe they, they went to Sunday, Sunday school at a, a young age and now they're far from God. And it seems, God, are they really ever going to turn back? Maybe there's just a big picture that's unraveling in your life that you're yet unaware of. And the miracle isn't necessarily in your answered prayer, what you're praying for. It's probably in the bigger picture. It's in the master's plan. I remember a disappointment in my life. I was disappointed. I probably shared this before, but I finished um, university. I studied computer science at university. And I came back to the Lord during my university years. And uh, I, was, I was fired up. Wanted to serve God, got a, a, a call upon my life into ministry. So I wanted to go to Bible college. Good, good intention, good thought, you know. So university finished. I was age 22. I had a gap year at university, 22. And I was all ready for Bible college. I found the Bible college I wanted to go to. Oh, I was going to serve the Lord. Um, it cost a lot of money, though. It cost a lot of money. And, uh, and I was praying, God, do you want to go to Bible college? I had this desire in my heart. And I believe my faith was high. My faith was high that God could provide the money for me to get to Bible college. But little did I know that in that season of my life, although I was praying for a miracle, our master had a plan. And it was different to what I was expecting. Fast forward the clock, I went to Bible college in the end, but I had to wait. I had to graft. And in the grafting and in the waiting, God was doing something more in me than what I could catch at a Bible college. Bible colleges are, are fantastic and they're great for um, sharpening you theologically, understanding the word, prayer, and all those disciplines. But God wants, is more interested in what's in us, in our lives. And he was sharpening me up and, and uh, I had to go through to work and then God was opening up doors. I, this, on the weekend, which was the deadline of... of the money needs to be paid for the Bible college. I still was full of faith. On the Friday night, Monday was the deadline. On Friday night, I had a phone call from a friend I went to university with. He says, Dave, are you looking for a job? I says, not really. I'm, I'm think he's not even a Christian. I'm, I'm thinking I might be going to Bible college. He says, uh, 
Dave, there's a job up here in Coventry. My parents lived in Dorset at the time. There's a job up here in Coventry with your name on it. <laughs> Gift. <laughs> oh, thank you, but, uh, you know, I'm going to Bible college. The idea to know is that was God's answer coming to my door, coming down my phone. It was a gift horse. It was like, Dave, this is it. No, no, I'm going to Bible college. Monday came. I was so gutted. I was so disappointed. I picked up the phone. I phoned up my friend. I said, yeah, I'm interested in... You know when you reluctantly do something? I'm interested in this job. This job happened to be amazing. It was working for a small firm in Coventry, but it, it gave me so much experience in different aspects of life. But I reluctantly did it. I look back and think, of course I was going to get the job, because this was God's provision for me in this season. But I couldn't see at the time the master's plan. I couldn't see at the time the bigger picture. But the miracle is in the master's plan. Turn to your neighbor and say, the miracle is in the master's plan. So let's unpack the word today. I'm going to carry on reading. And we're going to, uh, our passage is found in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 to 24. And don't worry if you haven't got your Bible. The, mess, uh, the, the, the verses are on the screen here. Um, just say this. Now it happened after these things. The son of the woman who owned the house became sick. Now what's just happened here? Elijah is fed up with Israel. Israel are not following the ways of God, Yahweh. So Elijah is actually praying, God, cause it to be no rain. Cause a famine on this land. Lord, show the people that you are God. And cause a bit of hardship. Because sometimes when we go through a bit of hardship, we turn to God, don't we? Yeah? I'm sure you've experienced that, because I certainly have in my life. We turn to God when life's hard. Sometimes when things are easy, we can back off a little bit. But after these things, after he's prayed and famine's come, and at this time, we've heard before that Elijah goes to a, a, a place called Cheris, where there's a, a river there, and he's fed miraculously by the, the, some birds called the ravens. Dirty birds. Dirty birds that are feeding him bread and, and worms and the rest of it. Interestingly, Cherith means cutting off. Cutting off. And here was a chance for Elijah vanishing when life seems good in the nation. But suddenly the drought comes, the rains stop, and things are drying up. He has to go into hiding. He has to be cut off. And sometimes, church, we find ourselves in a place where we might feel cut off. We might feel isolated. But don't worry. God knows where you're at. God's got your postcode. God's got your address. He knows what he's doing in the master's plan. And then as the, the brook is vanishing before his eyes and he's seeing it disappear, he's thinking, where's my next drink going to come from? God says, I'm going to send you to a place called Zarephath. And there is a widow, and I've commanded her. She's not a believer. Zarephath is, is, the, is the place where the worship of Baal, which is happening in the kingdom of, of Israel at the time, is like the, it's the, it's the, it's the hotbed of pagan worship of Baal. And he's sending Elijah into enemy territory, as we heard last week. And uh, he's commanded this woman, not that God's spoken to this woman, God has spoken over this woman, she doesn't know it, but she's going to end up feeding Elijah. Yeah. And we heard the story last week of the miracle that she fed Elijah first, she had some oil, had some, had some flour, made some cake, 
And the miracle was that until the rains came again, the flour was never going to be used up and the oil was never going to run dry. The miracle of provision day by day by day. Interesting, the place named Zarephath actually means smelting pot or refining place. And here we see a place where in the life of this widow and also in Elijah, things are going to be refined. Things are going to be, the temperature's going to be ramped up. It's going to feel very hot, not literally, but in life circumstances. Why? Because there's a greater point. There's a greater purpose in the master's plan. So after these things, the son of the woman, who was a widow, who owned the house, became sick. And his sickness was so serious that was, there was no breath left in him. The son has died. Who knows that that's not good stuff, is it? That's not good stuff. Because to the widow, and I don't believe this widow was very old, maybe middle-aged, we don't know, 30s, 40s, I don't know. But she's got a child, and we think the child is probably quite young. So she's been widowed at a younger age than expected. Already she's had hardship in her life. Around her, things are, getting, are being hard with people possibly dying through, through the famine and the drought. And now her son, a son who represents her past, her present, and her future, has now died. Her son represents her past because it probably reminds her of her husband, her lover, the love of her life who, who left her at an early age. Her present because her responsibility, her identity right now is to look after her son, try and fend for her son, bring him up until her future where her son, when he grows up, is able to provide for her. Her whole life, her whole identity is wrapped up in her son and now her son has died. What is left for this widow at Zarephath. Turn to your neighbor again and say, it's not over yet. And in verse 18 it says, so she said to Elijah, and when life gets tough, sometimes we turn on those closest to us, don't we? And have a little blame or a dig. She turned to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Here I am, you've come to my house, I've lodged you, I've provided for you every day, I've cooked for you. What am I to do with you, man of God? How have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? There was something she was beginning to realise about Elijah that was different, that he was a holy man, he was a man of God, not necessarily her God at this time, but she was beginning to believe. The thing is, sometimes she's been blessed, daily provision. But she was more content with the blessing than she was in believing that Elijah's God was who he really was. And it didn't happen in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, when he fed 5,000 women plus 5,000 men plus women and children, it's probably about 20,000 people, five loaves, two fish, and he fed them, and, and everyone was full, and he took the fragments, they started to follow him. But Jesus said, Do not follow me because of what I'm talking about and, and who I am and who Father is, you're following me because you were filled with bread. Your provisions were met. Your need was met. Can I say this? The widow's greatest need was not food in a famine. It was forgiveness from our Father. 
forgiveness from our Father. And she's reminded, maybe she's done a sin, or we don't know what the sin was. Let's not point the finger, we all sin. But she's suddenly reminded of a sin that she's committed in the past. It's come to her mind. The Holy Spirit's got an amazing way of bringing things to our mind. And when we are reminded of our sin, don't try and ignore it. Don't try and cover it up. Don't try and pursue pleasures of life to try and ignore it. When God brings it up, the best thing that you and I can do is embrace that and say, God, would you forgive me? And this sin has been brought up to remembrance. And her knee-jerk reaction, maybe because of the, the Baal who she worships, is that judgment comes by death and that her son has been killed. What, am I, what are you to do with me, O man of God, that you bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? But the story is not over. The story is not over. And he, that's Elijah, said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. See, Elijah could have said to the widow, I'm so sorry. Had empathy. And it's good to be have empathy with people, isn't it? It's needed to have empathy with people. At this point in scripture, according to my knowledge, there's no recorded miracle of anyone being brought back to life again. So he's not got any past stories of, well, this happened to that person, so maybe if I do X, Y, and Z, this boy might come back to life. But one thing Elijah did do, and one thing that you and I can do, is Elijah prayed. And Elijah took personal responsibility for this situation. He carried the son or the woman's burden in his arms. He embraced the burden of this situation. He carried it up to the upper room where he was staying. Didn't Jesus say, when you pray, go into your closet, close the door? We all need an upper room, friends, where we just address the throne room of heaven. Where we boldly come. Not, it's not for someone else. It's for you and I, friends. It's for everyone under the sound of my voice. We can all pray. And God wants you to pray, because we're going to see why in a minute. But we've got to carry the burden into the place where we pray. It could be in your car on the way to work. It could be you as you're walking to the shops. You're praying in your head. But carry the burden of those around us. And he laid the burden, the lad, on his bed and prayed for him. Friends, God wants you and I to take personal responsibility for people in our world like never before. Like never before. I thank God that we are a praying church, but we need to take the burdens of people in our world. And can I say, don't just, don't just pray for them silently. Tell them you're going to pray for them. Tell them, because that means so much, even to someone that's not yet a Christian. The fact that you say to them, I'm going to pray for you, even though not a believer, you might think, well, they can think I'm weird. No, no, they won't. They'll actually think you're caring for them and love that. Because when the, pro- when the problem um, is solved, when the answer comes, who's going to get the glory? But if you've secretly been praying for them, and the answer comes, and you say, oh, I've been praying for you, they might think it's a coincidence. But if you say, I'm praying for you, you're praying, the answer comes, I'm so pleased, all glory goes to God. Amen? So he carried the burden of the woman in his arms. He laid him in the place where he normally prays and prayed over him. 
over the burden. Friends, we need to be burden carriers in this church. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God. He's got a personal relationship with God. Have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? I love this. This is reality. This is reality. You, God's big enough, bold enough to carry your doubts and your questions. And sometimes we need to be re- real. We need just to be real before God. Why is this happening? Why is Brexit happening? <laughs> Why is this tragedy happening? Why? But it doesn't stay in the question. It doesn't stay in the doubt. It then says in verse 21, he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, Oh Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. See, he carried the burden. He took personal responsibility, carried the burden before the Lord. He then prayed passionately. Sometimes we might find it hard to pray. Do you have a situation? Let's be real. Someone says, can you pray for me about that? And you say, like a good meaning Christian, I'll pray for that. But there's no connection in your heart between, the per- between your heart and the person's need. It could be a whole well, a different reason for that. It could be just busyness in life. But sometimes, just sometimes, we need to put ourselves in someone's shoes. When we take a moment and we take stop, okay, they've got this need. What could this need mean to them and their world and their life? And when we take time to take stop, suddenly our hearts get a sense of, this is big stuff. Because if they don't have this, like some people say, I want a job. That's a brilliant desire. But if someone doesn't get a job, with jobs come a sense of satisfaction, purpose, as well as provision. If someone wants, you know, I've got this, this sickness, well, in that sickness there might be disease and discomfort. And as we stop, and we put ourselves in someone else's shoes, then we can pray with passion. The word compassion, passion actually means suffering. And compassion means to suffer alongside. Isn't that what we're called to do as believers? To put our arms around each other and, and to suffer alongside and say, I'm going to pray with you and for you. Stand with you in your time of need. And not only did he pray passionately, he had to pray persistently. Three times. Give me a wave. Let's be honest. We're in church. Anyway, if you pray for something only once and you expect to see a result. Something about God is he just wants us to pray persistently. He wants us to come and to come back again. And the Bible says that Elijah prayed three times. He cried out three times, Lord, would you bring this son alive? This boy alive. God could have done it on the first occasion. He could have done it on the second occasion. But he chose to do it on this instance, on the third occasion. There's many examples in Scripture where people had to go and go again and go again. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're praying about a situation, go again, pray again, believe again, believe again. Because God's in your persistence. God wants you to be persistent because he keeps you relying on him. Don't give up after one, two, even three times. Keep praying. Oh, Lord, my God, I pray that this child's soul come back to him. And I love this. Verse 22. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. 
Can I say this? When you pray, each time you pray, you may not have the words to say. It's not about eloquent, nice-sounding prayers. It's about like rawness. God, I need this for this person. God, would you heal this person? God, would you provide this person with this? God, would you help me in my situation? And every time you pray, God will hear your prayer. And the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, everyone say see. See, your son lives. It's easy to see at the end of an answered prayer, isn't it? The question is, can we see when we're praying in faith? The thing you're praying for, can you see it with the eyes of faith? Not your natural eyes, but the eyes of faith. Can you see it? God, I dare to believe this person could be healed. I dare to believe that this person could be saved. I dare to believe that you provide this person with a job. I dare to believe it. See. See. Church, we're going to a time of, of, of vision in life for the church. But vision, all about the church, it's all about souls, salvation, our community. It's about seeing that which is not yet. We thank God that we're growing as a church, but we're not where God wants us to be yet. Can you see it? Can you see where God wants us to be? See your son lives. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's not the end of the story. Keep going. The miracle is in the master's plan. Very quickly, three key things for us this morning. Number one, a rucksack, back by popular demand. It's not over yet, so keep praying. Church, this week, keep praying. Beyond this week, keep praying. Praying with personal responsibility. You've got to get involved. I've, I brought this rucksack to church a few weeks ago. I told you about my, my new gym habits, going to the gym and going to exercise classes. And in here, I keep my, my, uh, all my gym clothes, etc. But we've got to... Take personal responsibility. That means we've got to fill our backpack of prayer with other people's burdens. Open up the backpack of your prayer life and put in there, it's okay, someone needs a job, I'm going to pray for them. Someone needs healing, I'm going to pray for that. Someone is just going through a rough time, I'm going to pray for that and encourage them. And It's not all about prayer, it's about being the hands and feet of Jesus too. But take personal responsibility. Let's this week take personal responsibility. Email in, telephone in, prayer requests. That's your way of taking personal responsibility. You pray, we'll pray, and let's believe together that answers can come. Number two, passionately. Keep praying passionately. Wear their shoes. Now in this rucksack, Aaron's going to not like this, We've got some flip-flops. Now, around our house, Leanne wears flip-flops, you know, for some reason. But you know it's Leanne because she's got this, like, uh, she wears them, and all you hear is click, 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 click. What she's done recently, she's bought the girls. Sorry, girls. I read your bedroom. They've got flip-flops too now. So now we've got, it's like a, it's like a bunch of ducklings. Like, click, 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 click. Whenever I hear the sound of, and I'm finding it difficult to know which 
click belongs to who? I used to think it was Leanne, but now I'm getting a bit confused. But when it was just Leanne, I'd hear it and I'd, and I'd know, that's Leanne. I might be in the kitchen. That's Leanne. And I know I'm recognising her shoes. I've never worn these shoes, so they wouldn't fit me. They'd look daft. Yeah. I'm not going to smell them either. Um, but yeah, her shoes. And we've just got to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. Do you get that? You want more passion? You want to be able to pray with conviction? Stop, pause, consider what their prayer request means to them. Get personally involved and wear their shoes. And finally, pray persistently. Keep going. I was at the gym yesterday at 9 o'clock in the morning wearing these shoes again. I'm sorry. And I was doing circuit training. There's about 20 different stations, 14 seconds on each station. And I came to this exercise. And what I had to do, they had this disco music going on really fast. The beat was like this. And literally, I had to go like, bam, bam, and then jump, jump up like that, you know. And, um, and I, was, I, was, I was about 10, 10 stations, so I was feeling pretty tired. Anyway, I don't know what the, the instructor had. She, she was on my case that day. Three times in the, in the session, she came up to me. She said, She's got this headset mic. She's going, come on! And then she's standing behind me in the mirror, standing behind me, and she's still like, she's got so much energy. Bam, bam. And then I, I just have to keep up. I have to keep up. I had to keep going. She's down my back. And actually, her breathing down my back helped me, brought the best out of me. Because I thought, well, I'm not going to let her get, you know, I'm going to keep up with her as best I can. Bit of pride, maybe. I don't know. We've got to be praying persistently. Are you committed to praying persistently. The miracle is in the master's plan. Turn to the person next to you, say the miracle is in the master's plan. And in verse 23, Elijah says, see, your son lives. That's not the end of the story. It's not over yet. That is not even what the story was all about. See, in in Israel, there were loads of widows Loads of widows. And God could have sent Elijah to one of the widows in, in Israel, but no, he didn't want to. Elijah was sent to none of the is, um, widows in Israel. And in Zarephath and the surrounding areas, there would be plenty of widows. But Elijah was only sent to one widow. Why? Because the master had a plan. The master had a plan. And in verse 24... The Bible says, And the woman said to Elijah, after all these things, after God providing daily for their needs of food, and now her son has been brought back to life. And the woman said to Elijah, Now, by this, I know that you are a man of God. Now by this, I know that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. You see, in the end of the day, Elijah was not brought to Zarephath for the widow to provide for his needs. Elijah actually was brought to Zarephath for God to bring salvation to the widow. For actually the widow's needs to be met. The need of forgiveness by a father. God's got an amazing plan. Amazing plan. And I believe that God wouldn't have done it on his own accord. It had to take 
someone who was willing to pray. It had to take someone that would be willing to say, not, oh, I'm sorry that your son's died, but someone that was willing to obey the voice of God and to go to Zarephath in the first place. And then when he saw the situation, someone that was willing to take personal responsibility, someone that was willing to be passionate, and someone that was willing to be persistent in prayer, and say, God, would you, say, would you bring this child back to life? And because of his persistence and his passion and taking personal responsibility, God heard his prayer and the child came back to life. And the woman came to a realisation that Yahweh was the one true God. Now by this, I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Friends, when you pray this week, Tell the people you're going to pray for them. Tell the people, signpost to them, we're going to pray for you. The church are going to pray for you. Because let's believe that when the answers to prayer come, now by this will they know or begin to realise or begin to believe that your God could be the true God and could be their God. Amen? Stand to our feet. Just where you're standing right now, just think about someone in your world, someone in your life, person, family, someone that you just know there's a need. I'm not talking about your own need, and you can pray, and we can pray for your needs this this week. I'm talking about someone else in your world who just needs a hand up, just needs a handout or help, just needs something, healing, provision, something. And they might be going through a difficult time. Just think about them. Etch their face or faces on, on your mind right now. And just in this moment, this, this, this holy moment, right now, why don't you, out loud, start to pray for them? Simply, it could just be, God, would you help them? God, would you provide them? Come right now, across this place. Just use whatever words you've got. Can't be two words, it could be a sentence, doesn't matter. God, would you make a difference in their life? God, would you save them? God, would you heal them from cancer? God, would you show them that you are God? God, would you bring healing to them, Lord? Come on. Put yourself in their shoes. Feel what it means to them to have an answered prayer. Come on, pray with passion. Come on, let's raise our voices. Time's not now to think about lunch. Time's now to push in. Put yourself in their shoes. And see what it means to them if their life was turned around. Father, you hear the prayers of your people right now. They're ascending before your throne room like in incense, God. Sweet to your nostrils. Beautiful to you. Thank you that you're hearing the prayers of your people right now. Thank you, Lord. And we're asking, Lord, would you change situations? 
Would you change outcomes? Would you cause the miraculous to happen? It's not miraculous to you. It's miraculous to us because we can't do it. But to you, it's just natural. It's normal. I pray that somehow in it all, we'll have a small part to play in the master's plan. It's that attitude of prayer. I encourage you, every one of us, be persistent this week. Keep praying this week. Keep pressing in this week. Keep thinking about that situation that you had in your, your heart and mind just then. Keep praying and dare to believe that your prayers will make a difference because God will hear your heart. As he did Elijah. Elijah was no better than you. No better than you. He might have had a title called prophet, but you can be a prophet in this generation by speaking the truth of the word of God into your situations and into those of who people you love and care for. And right now, in the, as we're in this holy moment, every heart, eye is shut and head is bowed. If you're here today and you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, maybe you've been coming along and you've been hearing about God and stuff like that, and you're thinking, do you know what? I need Jesus. It's beginning to make sense. I want to give my life to God. I want to give control of my life to God. I can't do it by myself, but I believe that in his hands, if I put my life in his hands, he can make all the difference. If that's you, or maybe you once were a Christ follower and you're cold in heart, backslidden in your heart, Maybe today could be a day where you say yes to Jesus. I'm going to turn it around. With God's help, I'm going to live for him. So whether today you want to say, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the first time, or a recommitment to God today, just raise your hand right now so I can see it and I alone. I want to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to call you forward. Just raise your hand high. Wonderful, wonderful, great, wonderful, brilliant. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, across this place. Come on, let's pray this prayer out loud. Father God, Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you hear my prayer. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. Just like that widow. I receive your forgiveness. I give you control of my life. I choose to live for you. Would you help me every day? Open my eyes. That I may see you and my world differently. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's applaud the Lord this morning. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For many more resources and for more information, visit our website at www.life-cc.org.